Because when I see you, that gives me joy, happiness, and you be able to share your love and your warmth. And I think that as this, well, what do you want to call it, continues, we'll start to get back to more of a normal sin. Uh, I don't want to say normal, but uh, a sense of, well, the new plan that God has for us. How about that? I do want to welcome those of you who are online. I pray that the Lord and the Spirit will be with you. Um, remember, we're starting this morning at 11 o'clock, and that's going to be the case for church from this point on. And uh, I hope that can be accommodated into your schedules. We do have children's church. I don't see any kids out here. But we will be having children's church every Sabbath in the community room. And I think that we can be grateful that Keeney Mitchell's in charge of that. And we have a lot of kids in our church, and we need to be there for them as well. So I look forward to what Keeney has in store, but also to the opportunity for these kids to be able to experience God in a way this morning, just like we will sitting in this church today. Pastor Sergio is still on his little week off, coming back probably this weekend. And we will be blessed by having the message from Pastor Larissa. And uh, she is just a joy and a delight. And uh, we love her dearly. So I believe you have a few words you would like to share with this young lady. What was that dance you just did? Was that? I can share. But you got pink. <laughs> First off, happy Sabbath, everyone. Welcome. We're glad that you are here. Um, last week, we announced that we were going to do some May Day flowers that we are handing out around the community. I just want to tell you guys how that went because I don't know about you, but service makes me excited. And so I just want to share with you uh, some of those interactions that we had. So there were six different areas around our church that we covered. We handed out about 140 plants. We hit about 140 houses. Um, took us about hour, an hour and a half, something like that. And we went around and we handed out plants. And what we did was when we knocked on the door and we waited, and if someone answered, we said, happy May Day from your neighborhood Richland family. And we just handed them a plant. Some people were suspicious. They were like, hmm, what do you want? We're like, nothing. We're just here to give you a plant. We don't want anything. And they're like, okay. And some people were like, oh, May Day. I gotta tell Pastor Sergio this, Pastor Fred, they didn't believe me when I said, people know about May Day. They're like, are you sure? I'm like, no, people know about May Day. I had, I counted, I think I had about 25 houses that I went to, me personally. And people were like, I love May Day. We taught my kids how to do May Day. And so it was very exciting, very happy we did it. We got several responses through our church website, people saying, thank you so much for coming. But I just want to let you guys know um, how that went. And next year, I'd love to see you. Come join us. Speaking of plants or flowers or things like that, tomorrow is a very special holiday that we celebrate. 
And tomorrow is, if you didn't already know, Mother's Day. Now I know not everyone in this room is a mother. However, I think and truly believe in my heart that all women are mother figures. We are daughters of Eve, and therefore we deserve to be celebrated, and we should be celebrated. Amen. So, for you guys today, we have some roses that we're gonna pass out uh, momentarily. If I could get some, Brian, will you help me? If I could get some people to come help me, uh, would you mind helping me? Okay. Um, and we're gonna pass out some roses. We're also giving it to the kids after this at Children's Church. So if you get a second one, just say thank you. You're excited, because we have more than enough that we would love to hand out. So thank you, ladies in the room. We appreciate you, we love you, and we hope that you have a fantastic Mother's Day. And it's good to know that uh, God is in the house and that we will be blessed this morning with the message that Pastor Larissa shares with us. So enjoy. May the Spirit move in a mighty way, and may we be uplifted to heaven this morning to experience God.
inside me. Give me a song in the night. And Jesus, I need you every moment. I need you here now. This grace bar.
Once again, happy Sabbath, everyone. Glad that you are here. For those of you who are new here, we want to say a special welcome. We are glad you're here. I see plenty of new faces out there. So welcome, and we are happy to see you. If you don't know and you haven't been listening with us, we are in the middle or the beginning part of a new sermon series called Forever Encounters. Forever Encounters, and when we talked about doing Forever Encounters as a pastoral team, uh, one of the things that we really wanted to talk about was our own personal Forever Encounter. And so today, I get the opportunity to share with you my Forever Encounter with Jesus. So I'm excited that you're here. I'm very excited to share with you. I'm going to need some prayers because it is a very emotional story for me but I know that it is a grace-filled and God-filled one. So I'm glad that you guys are here with me along this journey. Also, if you've never heard me preach before, seen me preach before, there's something that I do. And every time I go to preach, I take off my shoes. I believe that when we stand in the presence of God, that we're standing on holy ground based off of when Moses meets God at the burning bush and he says, take off your shoes for where you are standing is holy ground. So we're here together, we're on holy ground together, and I'm excited to worship with you. Let's go ahead and let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the gorgeous sun outside. Thank you for the beauty that surrounds us. Thank you for women around the world, Lord, and just moms in general. We just ask that you would please be here, have your Holy Spirit fill this place, and Lord, let these be your words, because this is our story together. And I pray this in your holy name. Amen. In the beginning. It's the perfect intro for any retelling of any really good story, right? In the beginning. It's the kind of intro that kind of gives you, like, bated breath. What's gonna happen next? Will there be drama? Will there be joy? Will there be heartache? Will there be friendship? Will there be test of unbeknownst hardships? In the beginning. It leaves you wondering how will the story end? Will they be able to make it? Will they survive the mountains and the valleys? Will they travel the roads before them? Will they remember the roads that brought them there? Will they go with a guide? Will they go alone? Will it be worth the view? 
Once again, welcome to our church, and this is my story. In the beginning. But what do beginning do I start at to even tell you what my forever encounter is with God? Do I start at birth? Do I start at being baptized? Do I start at going to college? Do I start at becoming a pastor? There's so many beginnings that I could start at and tell you the moment I met Jesus, because it hasn't been just once. So what constitutes the beginning of my story? I don't know, but here we go. We'll find out. You see, I grew up Adventist. I'm a fifth generation on my mom's side and a third generation on my dad's side. And so Adventism is something that I've kind of walked into, unbeknownst to me, that's just been a part of my life. Christianity has been super ingrained in who I am. And so growing up, um, we came to a church, and I've told this story before, when I was 11 months old. This is the same church I went to from when I was one all the way up until I was 18. So we were there a very long time. Um, My parents still went there after I had gone to college and I had chosen a different church. So this is my home church. When I think home church, this is the church that I think of. And my family was super involved. I mean, I'm talking adventures, pathfinders, youth group, food bank, feeding the homeless, teaching Sabbath school, being a junior deaconess, like you name it, we did it. Vacation Bible school, like everything. And so church was a huge part of my life growing up. And it was a Saturday like any other. Now, I just told you that I went to this church for 17 years, at least. Many more than that afterwards, coming back to visit. So what I'm about to tell you may be offensive to some, but understand as a child growing up in the same church, we had to spice it up a bit. So we had just finished listening to the deacon give the prayer and counting how many times he said, Dear Father, because it was a lot. And we had a guest speaker that day. And so we're like, oh man, we can't guess what the, the sermon's going to be about because we don't know this person. Usually with our pastor, we could figure out there was usually one of about half a dozen topics he would preach on all the time. Like, oh man, what's he going to say? We don't know. And so as we're listening to this visiting pastor talk, um, honestly, I don't remember much of anything he said besides one line. I remember this one line because it struck me. It struck me as odd. And so he said, everyone has a testimony. I was like, whoa, whoa, time out. A testimony? You mean like that big stories that they do in front of church? Like where they talk about this big way that God showed up in their life? I don't have one of those. I was 16 at the time, and even though we were super involved, I would have never considered myself to have a testimony. But I remember him saying, it doesn't matter how old you are, everyone has a testimony. And I thought, could this be true? How could just anyone have a testimony? This story between God and them. Yes, I believed in God. Yes, I believe in Jesus. I chose at the age of 11 to be baptized because I firmly believe that Jesus is our Savior. And I went to summer camp and I gave my life to God every summer. So is that my testimony? I don't know. 
I don't have these fancy stories. I don't have these things that people constitute as a testimony. How could 16-year-old Lortha, who's never even been out of the country at this point, have a testimony? Like, I've never been on a mission trip. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what this is. Where has God shown up in my life? In the beginning. Honestly, there was a point in time where I wasn't sure that I believed in prayer. And it sounds silly to say, having grown up in the church, have been very involved in the way I was, but there it is. To be honest with you, there was a point in time where I'm not sure I believed in prayer, at least for myself. For other people, it worked, absolutely. But for me, I'd never really seen it happen. I wasn't really sure if it would work for me. Because for the majority of my life, I understood that prayer meant blessing the food, or asking God for something. It was one of those two things. Other than that, that's all prayer was, right? You ask God for something or you bless the food, one of the two. What I've come to realize later in life is that prayer is about so much more than now. Prayer is about talking with my best friend. It's about discussing things. It's about asking questions. It's about learning and listening. Listening. I know prayer, right? Prayer. Prayer is about listening for me now. And so there's so many things that I had prayed for that never came true. I bet if I asked you in the room to raise your hand about prayers you've made that have never come true, I bet I'd raise their hand. So how can I believe in something when it feels like more of a coin toss more than anything? So I remember this one fateful day. I was about 12 years old at the time. And I was like, all right, God, let's square up. If you are true and you hear me, I want you to do me this one solid. So I don't know if you've ever grown up with in the country like I did, but there's a lot of watering when your parents decide they want plants. Because it just is where I grew up in a north of Spokane, it's kind of dry. And so you have to actually water your plants if you want them to survive. And so uh, I had the job of watering the plants, and I had this big, long hose. Sorry, AV. And we would pick it up, and we would pull it across the yard, and we would water all this and all that. You see, my parents lived on five acres of land, and so even though we didn't use all of that for plants, it was quite a bit of space that we would end up watering. And so I had been fighting with the, the hose the day before, and I could not get the two sections apart. And I was like, okay, God, moment of truth. If you hear me, I pray and ask that you can let me muscle this off. And I was like, I couldn't do it yesterday. Why could I do it today? It's not going to happen. It's fine. So I go up and I'm like, okay, God, are you ready for this? You ready to show me? No, it's not going to work. And he goes, whoop. Okay. <laughs> That's not what I was expecting. I was like, okay. You win that one, but let's have another round. And I continued this for some time, where I would test God and say, okay, if you are real, God, if you hear my prayers, then I ask that you would please do these. These were no big things. They were, I was not praying to have people healed or that someone wouldn't die. These were little Larissa 12-year-old things. These were 
to my mind, big, but looking back, maybe smaller in context. And so, in that one moment in which the hose came apart, I realized something. It was a catalyst for how I perceived prayer. Prayer I had viewed before this as like an ATM, where I'd come up to the thing, I'd put in my request, and I'd pull it back, hoping that something would come out, praying that it would happen. But that's not the way that it, it does. God wasn't just going to do anything I asked him because he has bigger plans for me. So that summer, God wasn't done with answering prayers. That summer, I went to a camp. I had gone to camp since I was nine. Like I said, I was um, 12 that time, so I think this was like my fourth or fifth summer, something like that. And I went to this camp called Extreme Team. Now, I've talked about it a little bit before. I don't know if you remember. I was actually a counselor later for Extreme um, but I had the chance to actually be a camper for about three summers. And that summer was crazy, to say the least. Um, we went on a whitewater rafting trip, but the day before we went rock climbing. And so we arrived there, we spent the night, and in the morning we got up, we loaded everything up, and the van went start. And the van went start, and they're like, you know, okay, let's see if we can fix this, let's see what we can do. Um, so we've got all the staff trying to figure out how do we start this van. And they did a bunch of things. An hour passes by. Two hours pass by. This is our whitewater rafting trip. Like, this is the best part of the whole week. Three hours pass by. And finally, someone says, what are we doing? Let's just pray about it. I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. Let's pray about it. We'll see how this works. Are we ready, God? Are you ready? So we gather in a circle. And I remember there was about 10 of us. And I could see the van off to my right. And we bowed our heads, and each person prayed. And then it came to the last person. And I remember thinking, okay, God, here's your chance. In your name, amen. And right as they said amen, the car started. I kid you not. Freaked out, yes, to the bones of my soul because I had questioned God and put him to the test. I had said, okay, if you're going to do this, go for it. I wasn't the only thing that week. If that had been the only thing, I think I would have questioned prayer more, but it wasn't. Later that week, we had gone swimming in the pool at the camp, and one of the girls had lost her contact. I know that if you've ever, <laughs> if you've ever been in a pool and you've lost a contact, that thing's a goner straight up. It's just a goner. And so um, she had lost this contact, and she's like, this is the only pair I brought. If I'm going to be able to participate at all, I have to find this contact. And we're like, you want us to find the contact in the pool? We did. We prayed about it, and skipping across the bottom of the pool was the contact. If that was it, I might have still questioned prayer. But there was more. I have never been so shook in my entire life. I wish, I wish I could go back and just like watch it as a movie on what 12-year-old Larissa would take this as. We were driving to mountain biking. And I don't know if you've ever played this in a van, but if you've ever played corners where you go one way and you lean, yep, I saw it. 
you lean one way, and then you go the other corner, and you lean the other way. Well, I was sitting in the middle, and I had two people on either side of me, and the one on my left didn't want to play, but the one on my right was really intent that we were going to play. And so I didn't want to squish the person on my left, so I put my hand on the window of the van. And we hit a corner, and I put, braced myself because I didn't want to squish this person, and I felt the other person push against me, we're pushing, we're pushing, and all of a sudden, it gave way. And that window was gone. And we started saying, brace, 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 brace who's our guy counselor at the time, and said, Bryce, the window fell out of the van. You have to stop the car. The window fell out of the van. And he's like, oh, you guys are playing with me. Like, stop messing around. Like, we're like, no, the window fell out. He kind of pauses, slows the cars down, turn around, and realizes that we were actually telling the truth. The window had, in fact, completely popped out. And I was like, dear Jesus, dear Jesus, if you hear my prayer, don't let this window be broken. I cannot be, I cannot afford this. I own 12. I do not make money. I was like, please, dear Jesus. So we turned the car around and we're heading back down the road and there is this window completely in its ceiling still with not a crack in it. Nothing. Nothing. And I was like, okay, God. First the car, like the van, and now the contact. And earlier this summer, you did the hose. And now the window. Are you trying to talk to me? Are you trying to reach me? For the first time in my life, God scared me. <laughs> For the first time in my life, I was like, oh my goodness, he sees me. He hears me. He knows me. Because how does this happen? This isn't coincidence at this point. It can't be. It really cannot be. Like I said earlier, not all my prayers have been answered. So I don't want to stand up here and say, if you pray, it will happen, because that's not true. Because God has a plan, and he has ideas, and he has things that he would love to see, and things that he's got going that we have no idea about. But all I know for that one moment, I knew that God saw me. I knew and I felt it. That even though I was scared and I was wandering through life trying to make the best of any situation, that God saw me. Me. Like 12-year-old me, which was a very awkward stage, mind you. 12-year-old me. God listens in the small moments. And while I know that not all of my requests get answered, I know because God has got something else going on. I know he does. I know he does. I used to think that God didn't care when my prayers weren't answered. And then I realized when I read the Bible that some of Jesus' prayers didn't get answered either. When he's in the garden and he's saying, Lord, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Does God do it? No. God doesn't answer Jesus' prayer. And when I understood that, that even Jesus, who was connected to the Father, said, if it be your will, and it wasn't answered, which means it wasn't. I realized that someone has a better idea than I do of what's going on. Someone knows all the different parts and pieces and all how it's going to fit together. Someone knows the difference 
between desires and what's best for me. Someone knows, and timing is important. So in the beginning, I didn't believe in prayer, but now I realize that it was in those moments that I had a forever encounter with Jesus. I saw him, and I knew he sought me. In the beginning. I thought having it all together meant that you had a strong relationship with God. I really did. I'm not sure where this line of thinking came across. I don't think it was communicated in my family that way. Um, But somewhere along the way, I picked up that having it all together meant that you had a strong relationship with God. And maybe it was in that time frame, there was a lot of things going around when I was, go- the, when I was growing up that, oh, well, good Christians don't, blah, 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 don't question God, they don't do bad things, that kind of thing. So maybe I picked it up from there. I'm not really sure. And so in my mind, perfection or having your life together equated being closer to God. And for all the rest of us that didn't, well, good luck. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Not sure what's going on here, but I feel like... So those of us that didn't have it together, like these lights, um, <laughs> good luck, right? This is preposterous. How I could think as a teenager that if you were, had your life together, you were closer to God, I have no idea. But this is something that I thought. I somehow saw the heroics of the Bible and the people who were in there and saw, well, okay, if Moses can do great, amazing things and be that close to God, he's obviously got it together. Somewhere along the line, I neglected to notice the parts in which Moses didn't have it together. And yet, the struggle was there. And yet, God was still close with them. For as long as I could remember, a dream of mine was to go to an Adventist school. I went to public school for K through um, 12, and so for 13 years of my life, I went to public school. I loved public school. I would do it again, actually. But one thing that I wanted was I wanted to be able to say that I've gone to Christian, to Adventist education. It's something that was important to me, something that I thought about. And so um, when I became an eighth grader, eighth grade year, I made a deal with my parents that the next year they were going to let me go to Upper Columbia Academy. And I was so excited. And so, beginning of eighth grade, I'm like, yes, all the high school, we're going to go to UCA. I'm going to go to the dorm. It's going to be great. So we get through the end of eighth grade. and And my mom and dad sit me down and they say, we're not ready to let you go. We love you, and we love having you at home, and we'd like to keep you. We'll send you your um, 11th and 12th grade year. Well, I already told you that I was a public school kid until 12th grade, so you can see where this is going. 11th and 12th, or 9th and 10th grade came, and I stayed at my um, parents' place, and it came the end of sophomore year. We're going to go to UCA. We're going to go to UCA, and we're not going to UCA. But instead, I did running start. I think I've mentioned that before. Um, That's a story for another time. I love to tell you guys. So um, I ended up starting college when I was 16, but it was still at the community college. 
And so um, I'm like, okay, I didn't get to do it in high school. Let's do college. I'm going to go to Walla Walla University. Very excited. I'd started planning when I started my junior year. I'm going to go to Walla Walla. If I'm not going to go to UCA, I'm going to go to Walla Walla University. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm so excited. And so I prepare myself. I'm checking my credits with the high school, with the community college, and back with Walla Walla because I'm going to come in with a freshman with uh, junior credits. So I want to make sure that everything's good. I'm a planner. If you didn't know that about me already, I'm a planner. I like to make sure that things are in a row, that we've got a plan. And if they're going to change, that's fine. But at least let's say we know that so it's in the plan, that it might change. Seems reasonable enough. And so I get my acceptance letter one week into senior year. And I am excited. I am set. I'm good to go. All right, nothing else needs to be taken care of. We've already run all this. Like, I'm good. And so we get to May. It was this month, many, many years ago, and I do my college tour, and I'm so excited. I'm like, this is the college I'm going to. I'm finally getting to go to an Adventist school. Like, I'm excited. And so we get there, and we do the complete tour, and we get to the second to last meeting was with the communications department. My degree is in speech communication, and that's what I was planning to do at Walla Walla, planning on doing at Walla Walla. And so we get in there, and she looks at my degree, and she goes, oh, and she closes it. I was like, oh, no, what does that mean? What does O mean? And she says, we're not having this degree next year. We've decided to combine some of our communication degrees, and we will not be having this in our department next year. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, I've already been accepted, and I've already had my major approved. What does that mean? And so we start talking about options, and she said, well, you have, you have about three options. I'm like, okay. She's like, you can choose a different communication degree or a different degree in general. I'm like, not an option for me. I had already very strongly felt in that point in my life that speech communication is where God wanted me. It's where I felt like when I read it that that's where I was supposed to be. It's like, not an option. Like, okay, um, the second thing you can do is you can look at different colleges to see if um, they hold the degree as well. No one did. I was like, okay, what's my third option? And she said, well, your third option is to apply to the board of directors to see if you can go in as a junior because you've already have two years of um, college under your belt, Maybe they'll let you finish up with everyone else. And I was like, ooh, that's a good idea. Let's do that. And so I applied to the board of directors. And I just want to put in here a disclaimer. I have no hard feelings through this story. This is my story. And I understand that some people may see this as a bash against Walla Walla, but it's not. This is how I entered through this story. This is how I came out. So let you guys know that this is my disclaimer. There's no hard feelings here. This is just my story. And so I applied to the board of directors, and I got my letter back the day before I was supposed to go um, on a trip to Europe with my mom for 15 days. And so I get the letter the night before I'm supposed to go to Europe, and I open it up, and it says, Dear Larissa, thank you for contacting us. We're, we reviewed your request, and we are sorry to say that 
we do not think that you can do it. We do not think that it would be a smart idea to have you come in as a freshman with junior credit to finish this degree as we have decided not to have this degree anymore. We do not think you can do it, and therefore the answer is no. I don't know if you've ever been told in your life that you can't do something, but it was crushing. All these hopes and dreams that I had of an Adventist education, of like being able to like finally feel like I was part of this world that I've never had a chance to be a part of, was gone. We do not think that you can do it. It sucked, <laughs> to say the least. And it really shook me. I went to Europe as an 18-year-old with no college, as a person who likes planning. I came back from Europe in July. Still no college. Schools were starting in about six to seven weeks, and I had nowhere to go because I hadn't applied anywhere else because I didn't think I needed to. It was hard. And I, I didn't know what to do. I was like, well, I guess if I'm not going to go to an Adventist school, I might as well stick around home. Our Pathfinders still need staff, and I'm a staff at this point, so I might as well stay. And so I started looking at schools in the area, and there were three schools that had speech communication, and I called the first one um, that I thought, this might be a good one for me. So I called the communications department, and I, and I still to this day do not know who I spoke to. It was no one in the communications department has any idea of this conversation. And I called them, and I said, hey, my name's Larissa. I'm a recent graduate from high school, and I'm looking to come to your school. However, I did Running Start. I only want to spend two years at a university. I don't want to spend more time than that. Um, and I would like to come and do the speech communication department. Do you think this would be a possibility? And the person on the phone said, absolutely. I think you can do it. And I started crying because it was the exact opposite words of what I had been told before. I think you can do it. And I was like, okay, God, I'm going to apply. We're seven weeks out, see if we get in. I got my application in, um, and within a week, I got a response. I was accepted to Whitworth University in Spokane. And I was like, okay. I had almost all of Walla Walla University paid for with scholarships. Almost none of those scholarships transferred. I walked out of having to pay almost $3,000 a year at Walla Walla to paying almost $30,000 a year at Whitworth University. That's a big difference, especially to an 18-year-old all of a sudden. And so um, I was like, God, if I'm going to make this work, i got to get a job. I have to get a job. And so I put in my application at a bunch of places, and I got a phone call um, from a pizza place. So I was like, okay, I'll go do my interview. Sure. So I went and did my interview, and I'm talking to them, and I broached the subject. I'm asking for two and a half days off. I'm asking for Sabbath off. I'm asking for Wednesdays off so I can do Pathfinders. And I'm asking for Friday nights off. There's no way I'm going to get this job. There's no way. 
So we sit down, and I do my interview, and I say, okay, here's my conditions. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. I believe that Saturday is the Sabbath that the Bible has said, and that means that I, um, do, not, I do not work on Friday night to Saturday. I also part of a youth group on Wednesday nights that I'm staffed for. I can't work Wednesday, Saturday, and half a day on Friday. Is this still a possibility? Because they're like, we'd love to hire you. And I, so I, I said that. And he looked at me and he looks at our interview notes that he had just taken and he goes, absolutely, yes, we'll make it work. I was like, are you serious? Are you serious? I was like, okay. He's like, you start next Monday. And I was like, okay, awesome. I had that job for the exact, almost exactly two years that I needed it before they ended up closing down um, in, the, in March before I graduated. Two years exactly is what I needed that job for. And two years exactly is what I had that job for. I never worked a Wednesday. I never worked a Sabbath. And I never worked a Friday either. I walked in thinking that seven weeks before college is supposed to start, there's no hope. And within seven weeks, I had dorm, books, classes, tuition, <laughs> and a job. And you would think I would be so excited at that point. You would think that I would be happy. But to tell you the truth, I was still angry. I wanted my Adventist education. I wanted to go to Walla Walla. That's where I wanted to go. It's not what I wanted. So my first year of college, I, fent, I spent the entire time angry with God. And I yelled at him a lot, to be honest with you, because it's, it wasn't what I planned. It's not what I thought we had planned. Like, God, we planned this together. And my whole world fell apart. I was in utter despair. I was angry. I didn't want to talk about God. I didn't want to be there. Because what kind of God doesn't care about what we want? What kind of God doesn't listen to what their child is saying? What kind of God sends me here? Who does that? You knew what I wanted. If I could turn back time, I'd tell Larissa, dear 18-year-old Larissa, be patient. It's going to be okay. And it's not worth being upset about. Because that year, I ended up doing more Bible studies with my peers around me than I had done in the whole 18 years before that. And that one year, I was pushed so much more outside of my faith than I had ever been. People are like, what's a seven-day Adventist? I was like, well, that's a good question. <laughs> what is a seven-day Adventist? It pushed me to know my faith deeper and stronger than I had ever known before. Because I found that I didn't have all the answers. When they would ask me questions, I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I ended up studying my Bible that year more than I had ever done. I met Jesus there when I least expected it. When I was angry, when I was not happy with him, but he waited Bless you, Jesus, thank you. 
until I was ready to listen. Jesus waits for us. He listens to us. He does care about it, but he says, I know this hurts right now, but I've got something better for you. And I know you can't see it right now, and that's going to be okay, but I need you to wait. Trust me. Trust the process. It's going to be okay. I met Jesus when I was ready to open up my heart that second, that second year I spent at Whitworth University. I learned to fall back in love with Jesus. I learned to be okay that I don't have all the answers. I can't plan out everything. I can't have it all as much as I want to, as much as I feel like I need to. So after that first year, something changed in me. And I made God a promise. I said, here, okay, here's my promise. I promise to honor you with my life but you have to be clear with me. When it's time to move, I know it's time to move. Like, make it utterly clear to me. When it's time to move, you'll let me know. And I will know without a shadow of a doubt, this is the path you want me to go. And so far, he's held up on his end, and I've held up on mine. I have never had a job in which it was not clear as day which direction I was supposed to go including this one. I have never, ever made a decision that's a big decision without getting some sort of confirmation between God and I. Every expense I've ever worried about paid. Everything that I thought wouldn't happen, God came through in some way or another. And I tend to be a worry wart. If you know me really well or even a little, I worry about everything. You can ask Pastor Fred, you can ask Pastor Sergio. I'm always like, but, but what about this? Did we think about this? Okay, what about, what if that doesn't work out? Then what about this? And I sit there and I question, I'm like, okay. And I really try not to be, but I am. I worry a lot. And God is still working to change my heart on this. And I know that. So in the beginning, I thought that having a strong relationship with God meant that you had it all together. Now, I find myself at his feet more often than I'm not. I find that it's when I'm falling apart is where I can lean into our Savior the most. In the beginning, stories usually end with happily ever after. In the beginning stories, if you heard, in the beginning, you expect a happily ever after, right? Maybe once upon a time, in the beginning, it's the same thing. And as much as I wish I could give that to you, that in the beginning ends with happily ever after, I wouldn't be being honest with you. Because my story is not over yet. Yes, I've had a forever encounter with Jesus, but I've had several I believe that meeting God just doesn't happen once and you're done. I still have struggles. I still have pain. I still have things that I struggle with. One of my favorite um, people to watch on YouTube is called the Skit Guys. And they have this video called God's Chisel. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but if you haven't, watch it. God's chisel by the skit guys. Write it down. If you forget, you can ask me afterwards. 
And there's this line I love in it. And it's this guy and God talking. And the guy goes, God, but it's not easy. And God just says, yes, but you bought into the lie thinking that everything would be okay when you said yes to me. And I love that line. Like, I bought into that lie, that if you have it together, you're close with God. And it's not easy. In fact, life is downright hard. Am I right? Amen. (laughs) Life is hard. It is. But I find myself thinking, If I had not had those forever encounters with Jesus, if I had not met Jesus several times, not just once in my life, but over and over and over again, if I had not had that, would I still think life is worth it? Is this life worth it? And honestly, my God, he's worth it. I don't know if you have met him yet, but I gotta tell you, he's amazing. He loves you so much more even imagine. He knows you. He knows the plans he has for you, even when it's not what you had for yourself. And it's moments that I have these forever encounters with Jesus that I still find myself falling in love with him. Forever encounters are not moments when we have it all together. It's not even when we have this connection, this thing called prayer. Oh, I prayed. Huh. Voicemail. Thanks, God. A forever encounter is a trajectory change. It's a moment where you were going one way and you end up turning a completely different way. Forever encounters are catalysts for change. They're moments where you can't go back to being the same person anymore. And you wouldn't want to either. Because Jesus has changed you. There's a series that has come out um, called The Chosen. If you haven't watched it, I highly recommend it. It is one of the most beautiful ways I have seen the Bible portrayed in a very long time. And there's this moment in which Mary is talking. And she says, I was one way. And now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in the middle was him. And she's talking about Jesus. I was one way and now I'm completely different. The thing that happened in the middle, it was him. I'm better today because I had a moment with Jesus. I had a lot of moments with Jesus. I'm glad you didn't know little Larissa because I'm a lot better woman today than I was then because I've met Jesus and I keep meeting him and I still need him day after day. Life was hard, and I wasn't sure I believed in him. I wasn't sure I believed in prayer. I thought that you had to keep it all together. But God kept after me. Jesus was like, "Uh uh-uh. I love you, but you're wrong. (laughs) I love you, but your thinking's a little off. I love you, and I see you. God sees you. Not as a whole, not as the Richland Church family. God sees you, individually, you. God sees Larissa. He sees each and every one of you. I pray that God leads you into holy moments. These moments where you have this forever encounter. These moments where 
bring you to the foot of Jesus because you can't take this world anymore. I pray that these moments you allow to change your life forever. And I hope that you allow that your trust to be completely without borders. It's hard. I know it's hard. You're a planner like me. It's hard. But I hope that he walks on water with you. That you keep your eyes on Jesus. That you keep connected to the source. That he takes you deeper than you've ever been before. Because in order to go places you've never been, you have to do things you've never done. I'm really grateful for my forever encounters with Jesus, where he continues to lead. You know the best part? This is just the beginning.
your heads in prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for never leaving us. Thank you for being patient with us. God, I just ask that you would remind us that our story is not over with and that it is firmly rooted with you. Lord, I just ask that if someone hasn't had a forever encounter with God, with you, Jesus, that they would, that it would be so transformational that they come back a totally different person because they can't be back the person they were before. Be with us this day. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Happy Sabbath, church. Happy Mother's Day. Have a great weekend. Go in peace.